podcast from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. Faith Bible Church is a Christ-centered Bible teaching ministry dedicated to bringing the good news of the gospel to the whole world. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And now for this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. It's nice to be here again. Jenny and I missed a couple weeks and it was just a a crazy week, two weeks for us, and so uh, it's good to be back, and good to be back with you, and I just really want to encourage everybody not to change seats, because when I pray for everybody during the week, this is how I do it. I do it by, I remember where you're sitting, and so when I pray for you, I remember where where you're at in here, so, so please don't mess me up that way, and um but uh, um, I would, if, if I, I do pray for you, for most of us, you know, um, if I remember where you're sitting during the week. So if you have anything that you'd like me to specifically pray for you, you know, please let me know. And so I can specifically pray for you in those areas. And if not, I just kind of do a general prayer. So um, today we're going to, if you turn to the book of Ephesians with me, we're going to start into Ephesians and uh um, we're going to start into Ephesians. So let's go ahead and, and bow our heads and let's pray and then we'll, we'll, we'll dig into this letter. Father, we just thank you for this time that we can come and come into your presence and Lord, just praise you Lord, what a praise that uh, it is finished. The work is done. Christ is risen, and he now intercedes for us at your right hand. Thank you, Father, that we are not the same, but we have been changed. And may we glorify you in our walks, Lord. May we glorify you as we go from day to day. And now, Lord, as we pray, um, I just ask that you would Open your word to us, Lord. Give us insight into it. Give us wisdom in it and help us to live it and rejoice in it. In your name, amen. So I just want to do an introduction to Ephesians this morning. We're just going to kind of do an introduction. So um, me and Dick got together and man, what a blessing Dick is. You guys have no, what a real blessing he is. He brought up some pictures of, uh, I, I tried to get the ones with, with Dick in them, but he went and go for those. So, uh, but this is what we're going to look at. We're looking at where you, where Ephesus is, where we are. So this is kind of an overview. If you can look at this, off to the far, my far left is Corinth, and then as we move to the right, we have Athens, and then across the Aegean Sea, there we have we have Ephesus, and then farther a little bit to the right, we have Colossae. So we're right there in this Asia Minor area. If you want to. It's modern-day Turkey is where Ephesus is. 
is where we're at, is in modern-day Turkey. Can you go to the next one, Pete? And so now this is an overview of Paul's third missionary journey where he'd be. But what I want us to point out is, kind of to, to my left coming in, we, you see this kind of thing that looks like a spatula? So, and then we have Ephesus down here. Well, this was the harbor that was there. This harbor is what, what came in. And this is what made Ephesus such a bustling city, is it was a port city, much like New York City or Hong Kong would be. And this is what made it really bustling and, and busy. You go to the next one, Pete. Now, this is a view. This, this in the middle there is, uh, is, the, is the amphitheater. Now, that, this uh, amphitheater has this causeway that led down to the to where the, uh, to where the um, harbor would be. Okay, go to the next one. This is the amphitheater. Somewhere, there's, at the very bottom is Lynn and, and the two girls, Molly and Sarah. And Dick was taking the picture. But here's the amphitheater. And when we read, I, I believe it's Acts 19, the silversmith. Yeah, when we read in Acts 19 where the silversmiths took Paul to, to they wanted to kind of kill him because he was, taken away their idols. This is where they took them. They, they took him here to do this in Acts 19. Okay, what's the next one, Pete? This is a view of that causeway out. And you see where all the, the dirt is out there, all the silt and everything? That was water in Paul's time. That would have been water in his time. And then the next one, this is the statue of Artemis or Diana. And this is uh, Ephesus essentially guarded the temple of Diana and Artemis. And I think that's it for now. You can go to the next slide, Pete. Okay, so we'll just keep that up there. But this is kind of where we're at. You know, so uh, it was, uh, Ephesus was the, the center of the commerce of travel. Three major roads came from Ephesus. One road went east towards Babylon via Laodicea. Another to the north through Smyrna. And the third went south through the Meander Valley and so forth. And so this is kind of what we see of the, of, of the city. Now, this is Paul's second, second missionary journey. And this is where he, he planted, this is where, where he plants the, 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 the church at Ephesus. And so, so we see the J is for Jerusalem, the A is Antioch, the C is Corinth, and the E is Ephesus. And is this the one where he starts in Antioch and ends in Antioch? So he starts in Antioch and he comes around and he hits Corinth, and then he goes over to Ephesus and then down to Jerusalem. But when he's in Corinth, what he does is he picks up Priscilla and Aquila when he's in Corinth, and they go across the sea to Ephesus where he is. And this is what Ephesians, uh, or Acts uh, 18 tells us. And this is right around the area of AD 50 to AD 52. Acts 18.18 says, after this, Paul stayed many days longer, then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila at Centria, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. Now, I didn't put that in there because I was a barber, but he cut his hair. Uh, verse 19, and they came to Ephesus from, from Corinth there. He came to Ephesus and he left them there, that is Priscilla and Aquila, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined, but on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills, and he set sail for Ephesus. And so there he is in Ephesus. So now this is his third missionary journey. Now this one, 
Okay, I got to remember what Dick did because this was one that we... Where did this one start, Dick? Starts in Antioch. And then he goes, okay, I got it. Right, so this is where he starts in Antioch. He goes to Ephesus, spends a couple of years in Ephesus, back up to Corinth, and then he comes back around and he comes back down and he doesn't go into Ephesus, but he goes to, you see that little point right there below Ephesus? This is Miletus. And there, where, when he's in Miletus, this is where he meets with the elders of Ephesus in, my, in chapter 20 of Acts. And then he goes down to Jerusalem where he eventually gets arrested and gets put under house arrest. So that kind of gives us an idea of, of where Paul, where his, where his journeys went. Um, this is what he did when he was in um, Ephesus. This is what he did when he was in Ephesus. He taught in the synagogues, proclaiming the kingdom of God. Acts 19, he says this. And he entered the synagogues and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before, before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the halls of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jew and Greeks. So Paul taught in the synagogues in Ephesus. Also, uh, he performed miracles, Acts 19, 11, and 12, while he was in Ephesus. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came upon them. So he taught in the synagogues, he performed miracles, and also many believed, and there was true repentance within, within, the, within Ephesus. Acts 19, 18 and 19. Also many of those who are now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver, which is an extremely amount of money. Fourthly, he also, uh, the word of God that Paul was preaching, fourthly, it grew. It grew greatly and it was prevailing. Acts 19.20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevailed mightily. So this is what, what Paul was doing. And People were being saved. The Lord was saving many people. And this made the silversmiths very angry because what the silversmiths did is they made idols. They fashioned idols and that was their business. And everybody was getting rid of their idols. They were throwing them all away. And so what happens is this is what happens with, that, uh, with the amphitheater. You know, Paul is, uh, Paul's life is threatened and by the silversmiths. And so there's a, a riot that takes place. And that was at that, that amphitheater. And so Paul, Paul gets out of there. And so when he goes back around and he comes up, but then he comes back down. And in Acts 20, this is where he meets with the elders at Ephesus. Now, I don't have this up there for you guys because it's a big section. But it's Acts 20, verses 17 through 38. Acts 20, verses 17 through 38. And this is what Paul does with these Ephesian elders. Because he spent two years with these elders he had a good relationship with him. He had an intimate relationship with him. He was uh, intimately involved with him. So what we see first in Acts 
in Acts 20, 17 through 24, we see Paul's faithfulness to preach the gospel in the midst of trials and hardships. So he brings this to him that, that he talks about in his trials and his hardships, he's, he's still proclaiming the gospel, even when it's hard. And this is confidence for us, brothers and sisters, because there's going to come a time where it's going to be really hard for us to proclaim the gospel. But we need to still move forward in proclaiming that gospel. Secondly, Paul charges the elders in verses 25 and 30, and then Paul gives them an example of what happens with him in verses 30, 31 through 35, and then at the end, verses 36 through 38, that the love that they had for each other, that they were weeping because Paul was leaving, and Paul would never return again to Ephesus. Now, there was two other apostles. Well, uh, John, uh, uh, Timothy and John supposedly pastored the church of Ephesus too. And so that's how we get Ephesus. We get what was going on in Ephesus, the kind of city it was, what was happening, some of the outlook of it, Paul's first planting of it with Priscilla and Aquila, and finally, you know, what Paul did while he was there for two years, and now his departure from them. So this is where Ephesus is. This is where it puts us in modern-day Turkey, in that area is where he is. Now, I want to get to the letter itself. I want to get to the letter itself. Obviously, the author we already know is Paul, and we'll deal with that a little bit more next week. But what I want us to do is look at what the letter uh, of Ephesians was, was, was for these Ephesians believers. The letter was written about A.D. 62. is when the letter was written. Now, Paul, in A.D. 62, he's now in house arrest. Right? He's not in the very, very bad prison that he's at when he writes the letters of Timothy where, where all the sewage of the Romans goes to, but he's actually in a house where he's guarded by Roman centurions. And so he's, he's in these. And he has other epistles that he writes. He's prison epistles, right? The four prison epistles are Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and then the Philemon. Three are to churches and one is to Philemon himself. But in the original manuscripts, Ephesians did not have uh, the letter to the Ephesians. So they believed that this was a circular letter. Because when you go down the road, you can see where uh, you had Ephesus and then you had Colossae and you had Laodicea, where, it would, where we would have this whole thing. It would be like a letter that was written to, to Faith Bible and then we went down the road and it went to Grace and then it went to South Reno Baptist and then it went to you know, uh, maybe Living Stones out south and then into Carson City. So it's a circular letter. So it's brilliant for us today because it's a letter for Faith Bible. It's a letter for us. It's God's instruction to us. Now the letter is bef- has been referred to as the crown and climax of Pauline theology, the sublimest communication ever made to man, the consolate and most comprehensive statement which ever the New Testament contains of the meaning of Christian religion. The construction of this letter, it is a dual theme in this letter, Christ and the church of Christ or the body of Christ, which we're all part of. The first three chapters, chapters one through three, Paul deals with doctrine. The next four chapters, chapters four five and six he deals with the believer's duty in relation to that doctrine and then in chapter six if we look at it he deals with spiritual warfare with putting on the armor of god so the letter can be easily remembered by three w's if you want to write these down three w's the first three chapters are the wealth 
of Christ, what we have in Christ, this wealth. The second one would be our walk, how we walk knowing that we have these riches and this wealth in Christ. And the third would be warfare in chapter 6. So we have the, the construction of the letter broke down. Now the contents of the letter, this is one of the richest books I think we have in, in, in the New Testament. It is, it is brilliant and it is so rich for the believer that, that we need to be praying that we, we, we take this in. First of all, we have the riches of God's grace in this, in this letter. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We have the unfathomable, uh, there's one of those words I can't say, unfathomable <laughs> riches of Christ. Ephesians 3.8 To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach the Gentiles the unsearchable, the unfathomable riches of Christ. Unsearchable, unfathomable Brothers and sisters, we can never get to the depth of Christ. We can never get there. I believe even in heaven, this is my belief, I believe even in heaven, his grace is going to be like ocean waves that keep coming and coming and coming and we'll still be plummeting the depths of who God is even in heaven and we'll just be completely amazed. We see in this, in the, in the, in the contents of the letter, the, the, the riches of God's glory Ephesians 3.16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. We'll deal with this. This is, this is his prayer. There's a call to the believers for the unity of faith, knowledge of the Son of God, to mature men, to the measure that is the fullness of Christ. Ephesians 4.13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. We as believers in this letter, we are called to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, And do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. In Galatians, he talks about walking in the Spirit so we do not fulfill the desires of the flesh. This is what happens when we are filled with the Spirit and we are walking in the Spirit. We are walking in that newness of life and this is what he calls us to do is to walk in that newness of life, to be filled with the Spirit, to be filled with the fullness of Christ. Ephesians 3.19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Can you imagine that, brothers and sisters, that we can be filled with all the fullness of God? This is what he prays for them. To know the heights, the depths, the breadth, the length of the love of God. Some key words that we want to look at as we look through the letter. Some key words. Riches. Now, this is all dependent on translation, I think, because there's many translations out there now. But... We have some key words we want to look at. Riches is used five times. Grace. Grace. What's grace? Unmerited. Unmerited favor. Good. Right? Grace is unmerited favor. It's mentioned 14 times. Glory, eight times. Fullness filled up or fills, six times. Key phrases. A key phrase 
that we will see in this letter as we go through it, in Christ or in him. This is our union with Christ. As believers, because of what took place on the cross, we are united with Christ. We are in Christ. And I love how Paul in his letters, he writes that in Christ. We're not outside of Christ, but we are in Christ. And that's why we have all these riches is because we are in Christ. John MacArthur writes this. Christ is the source, the sphere, the guarantee of every spiritual blessing and of all spiritual riches. And those who are in him have access to all that he is and has. I want to repeat that. And those who are in him, believers, you and I, as we sit here today, we have access to all that he is and has. Those are some key things that we look at. Now, I kind of want to switch gears a little bit here because I want us, because today's the Lord's Supper, right? And so I want us to, to, to look at, at what has happened with this for the next, you know, 10 minutes or so. And this is what's taken place because Christ has died. We have these riches in him. We have these riches in him. But what are these riches? And what are they based on? Right? What are these riches based on? They're based on our, our unity with Christ. That's what they're based on. All these riches we're going to talk about are based on our unity with Christ. Here's the first one. Here's the first riches we have. Just imagine we're, we're opening this treasure chest. And this is what's in this. We have his grace and his peace. Ephesians 1, 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We have this grace and we have this peace because we are in Christ, because of what he did on the cross, because of his broken body and his shed blood. We now have grace and peace from God our Father. Uh, Romans 5 5 tells us, I'm just thinking this, Romans 5 tells us that we have peace through God because we've been justified by Christ. Christ. So we have this peace with God. We're no longer enemies with God. His grace has been showered upon us. Secondly, we have in this riches, uh, it's all based on, these riches are based on his will and his kind intentions. His will and his kind intentions. Ephesians 1.5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will We've been saved according to his will. Each one of these can be a sermon in themselves, but we're not going to do that. But we can be, we're we're saved because of the purpose of God's will, not our will, but his will. What a a precious thing that that this is. Uh, It's according to his purpose, Ephesians 1, 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Not only his purpose, but his glory. His glory is seen in this. So that we may, who are the first to hope in Christ, Ephesians 1.12, might be to the praise of his glory. Brothers and sisters, we exist for the praise of his glory. 
Our everyday walk is to the praise of his glory. It brings glory to him because it's about his will and his kind intentions and the peace and the grace that we have. It's his glory. It's his calling. He's the one that calls us. And it's his inheritance that he gives to us. Ephesians 1.18 Having the eyes of your, eye, of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope that which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? The inheritance we have in Christ far exceeds any inheritance that we will have here. Far exceeds it. And it's his calling. He has called us to himself. He was the one that dialed the phone. He called us. He called us to himself. And we graciously come to him by his calling. And that calling has power to it. As we, 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 we learned in, in Sunday school today, this, this power is not a power to do miracles, but this power that Paul talks about is this power to save. God's power to save people. I mean, imagine that power. Imagine the power to take somebody who is dead and bring them to life. That's what God does. He takes the spiritually dead and he brings them to life. That is what he did for each and every one of you if you are a believer. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive. You did not make yourself alive. He made you alive. He put the spark in your heart. He drew himself to you. He called you to himself. What a great God he has. And you want to know why he did that? Because none of us would have did it on our own. And so he does it. He draws us. He's the hound of heaven. He seeks us out. By his power, he brings us to this glorious salvation that we have. Ephesians 1.19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power it's immeasurable. We can't measure it. It's great. Can you imagine Paul writing this letter? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power as he talks to these Ephesians that have been saved by this and he's encouraging them. Brothers and sisters, do you see that? We have a God who has immeasurable power. There is nothing he can't do. Everything is possible with him towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. We see also that his love is rooted in this. Ephesians 2.4, here's this. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love, because of the great love with which he loved us, his love towards us. And his love is like no other kind of love. It's not like our love. Our love has conditions to it. We have to admit to that. You know, it's easy to love somebody who loves you back. That's simple stuff. It's hard to love somebody that, that hates you. It really is. Those are, those are things that are, but his love is, is it, it's, it's rich in mercy. That means when we sin, we can go to him because he's merciful. And we can ask for that mercy. God, have mercy on me. This is what Christ has done for us, brothers and sisters. This is what was accomplished on the cross. This is a song we sang. It is finished. 
We are, we are in Christ. This is what we have. We have all these riches because we're in Christ. Not only that, but we are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship. I remember when Jenny and I first started going to uh, uh, Community Bible and uh, Angelo Sanchez was preaching through this. This was one word that stood out to me because this workmanship in the Greek is uh, poema, which where we get our word poem. We're God's poem. And we have beautiful poems. And this is what we are. We're his, we're his workmanship. We're this, we're this poem that is created. There's our word. That is created where? In Christ Jesus. For good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. Our riches are bound in his spirit. Ephesians 3.16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being. That's where his spirit resides, brothers and sisters. It resides in us. It dwells, his spirit dwells in us. His sacrifice, Ephesians 5, 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Christ gave himself up for us. This is what we're celebrating, that he's given himself up for us. These riches are not only bound in his workmanship and in his spirit and his sacrifice, but these riches are bound in his strength, Ephesians six ten. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And the strength of his might. It's, 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 it's bound up in his, his armor for us. Ephesians 6.11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Ephesians 6.13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. And I love both those verses because Paul does not say take up partial parts of the armor of God. You have to imagine this. You have to imagine that you're sitting in this house as Paul writes this letter and he's sitting there writing this letter and he's looking at this Roman guard. And this Roman guard's got all the armor on, the breastplate and the helmet. And as Paul strategically goes down, he's like, there it is. It's the helmet of salvation, right? It's the breastplate of righteousness. You know, gird your feet with the gospel. He's going down, he's doing this. We have to get ourselves there. We have to see this picture of this, of this guard. And as Paul writes this letter to encourage these, these Ephesians and the Colossians and to encourage faith Bible, this is what he's saying. Put on the whole armor of God because our, because our war is not against flesh and blood, but it's against, it's against the, the, the spiritual stuff. So we need to put on the whole armor of God. Not part of it, but all of it. And when we get to that section, we'll notice one thing. He says to, to do it, put on the whole armor of God, but he never says this. He doesn't ever, ever, ever say take it off. He doesn't say you can relax now, take it off. Because the war, brothers and sisters, is constant on us. It is every day we battle spiritually. So that is what Paul has told us to do, is to put on this whole armor of God. Ephesians 6, turn, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all that, stand firm. Stand firm. These riches are bound up in his body, in the church, us. 
That's the church, the ecclesia of God. It's us. It's the people. It's the people here that call Jesus Lord and Savior. The believers here at faith. It's bound up in us. The riches are with us right here. The riches are with the church of God. The believers down at Grace, it's with them. The believers in Mexico, it's with them, right? It's the church, his body, the church. Ephesians 3, 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. When Paul talks about this mystery in Ephesians, when when you read this, I really want to encourage you all, read this. It's six chapters. It's easy read. It's like 15 minutes out of your day. Read this and see that this is the mystery. The mystery was that the Jews weren't always it. God's plan was for the Gentiles too. That's the mystery. That's the body of Christ. So brothers and sisters, as we look at this, this letter, may we not approach this letter in a way of what I can do for this letter. But may you sit and you prayerfully read through this letter and see what this letter does to you, does to your heart. See how it draws you to who Christ is. Now, these riches are for everyone who calls Jesus Lord and Savior. These riches are for those that have been brought from from life to death or from death to life, sorry, by the power of God. These riches are for those who God has graciously saved through the cross work of Jesus Christ. These riches are for you to have and to hold and to live in these promises. This is what we come to remember today as we partake of the bread and the cup. Because of the death of Christ, the breaking of his body, the spilling of his blood, you and I sit here today as the most spiritually blessed people and the most wealthy people around because of the riches of Christ. Now, now if you sit here today and you're not a believer, this is not for you. Let it go. Let it pass by. Don't take it because it's not for you. But the gospel is for you. Today, Christ's death is for you. That finished work, that song that we sang that has made us new, that is for you today. If God is calling you and he is working in your heart to call you, that is for you today. Today, repent of your sin. Turn to Christ. Trust him to save you. Trust in his death as he dies for your sins his burial, trust in his resurrection, his ascension as he now sits at the right hand of God. Trust in the finished work of the cross. Ask Jesus to save you today and he will. So as we come to this table, brothers and sisters, don't come with a hard heart. Take some time. Repent of your sin. And if you can't repent of that sin, if your heart is just not there, again, let this go by. Do not take this bread and this cup in an unworthy manner. Take it and rejoice in the riches of Christ as we celebrate his death for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for just this brief introduction. And Lord, thank you for these riches we have in Christ. And I just pray, Lord, that we would 
we would just meditate upon him. I, I pray we would be like the, the, the psalmist in Psalm 1, Lord, that, that uh, our delight, our joy, our pleasure would be in you. And we would meditate upon you day and night. We would see these riches when we, we, we think that so many other people are, 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 are much more better off than us, Lord, that we would just see that, they're, that we have s- such a great Savior. We have such a great wealth in Christ. Father, I do pray that if there is anybody here that's not a believer, that you would call them to yourself today. Father, I pray for Faith Bible Church today, Lord, that you would forgive us of our sins, that you would cleanse us from all our unrighteousness, that as we come and we take this cup and we take the bread, that we would do it with clean hearts, Father, pure hearts that only you can make. Father, that we would rejoice in who Christ is and that we would hold tightly to that cross and that we would rejoice in that resurrection. Lord, thank you for the access that we have to you to come into your throne room because of Christ. May today be a blessing to you, Lord. And may we, we, we just have joy in Christ. In your name, amen. Would the elders come forward? got three of them. I'll go down the middle. You guys are throwing me off. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this simple reminder that we can just memorialize what Jesus has done for us. Thank you, Father, for the broken body and the, and the blood. Thank you for the new covenant, Lord, in which we rest. Thank you for your grace and your mercy, your compassion and your love. Father, thank you for sharing the gospel with us. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching of God's Word from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you and that the Word of God will fill your hearts and minds as you walk through this world. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would like to make a small donation to help defray the cost of this podcast, just click on the green Support Us button at the top of the webpage. Thank you.